As Pastor Douglas Wilson writes, quote, One of the most important things we can learn from Scripture is how to see ourselves accurately in the story in which we find ourselves. What story is God telling, and how does it concern us? End quote. That's the question, isn't it? We need to know what kind of story God is telling, and we need to know our role in it. We need to know how to tell the difference between friend and foe. Who are the villains in this tale? Is this a story with dragons in it? And if there are dragons, who's going to fight them? Where's this story going? How can I play my part in it? Play my part in such a way as not to be ashamed when the last word of the last chapter is read aloud and the book closed. Here in the King's Hall, our aim is to help you read that story and find your place in it, to equip you for the great campaign you've found yourself written into, whether you like it or not, by the way. What you'll find is that this story is a story of conquest. It's a story of empires rising and falling and turning to dust before a world-swallowing empire to put them all to shame. It's a story with heroes to make Odysseus and Aeneas look soft and enemies to make Sauron and Jadis seem small. You'll find, in fact, that the task you have been given in this story is nothing less than seeing the world won, seeing the world conquered and colonized and baptized and discipled. So join us in the King's Hall where we're learning to be men fit for that kind of story. The King's Hall Podcast exists to make self-ruled men who rule well and win the world. Welcome to the inaugural episode of the King's Hall Podcast. And here in this introductory episode, you'll learn who we are, what we're aiming for in this project, and then we are planning to give you a look ahead at where this first season of the King's Hall podcast is heading. Uh, so, But before we soliloquize any further, it would probably be a good idea for you to know who it is that you're listening to. So, gentlemen. Yeah, my name is Eric Kahn. And first of all, Brian, that was one of the most epic intros of all time. <laughs> I was you, listening sir. to that music. I was getting jacked. I'm Ready for the podcast? While I listened, I was just pumping. I was thinking of deadlifting. 300 pounds bench presses. Straight Dan up. can vouch for me. Straight up. So, so we're doing introductions, and I thought uh, I would start just with my family. That's one of the places we'll start in this show mm-hmm. uh, is with households. So I am married. I've uh, been married almost, almost 20 years now. Congratulations. 20 years? That almost 20 years. I mean, 17, but that's almost 20, right? Oh, yeah. yeah. I'd call that. I'd round it. Yeah, I'd start exactly. Saying, I'd say basically two decades. You got you got to take all the credit that you can uh, yeah. that you can get. And right. I I have three boys, uh, so my oldest is fourteen, and then just about every two years after that, three boys love it. It's been fantastic. We're building households. Uh, my background, uh, I went to seminary, Southern Baptist Seminary. Uh, I also have a sports journalism degree, and classical philosophy. Those kind of go together. Wow, you got range, man. Yeah, that's right. Mm. That's right. So I went to SBTS in Louisville, Kentucky. Uh, I realized when I was 20 years old that being a pastor at 20 was probably not the best idea. Brian can tell us. <laughs> I can identify that. with that, Eric. I-, I needed a little bit of experience. And so what I did, I went into the actually outdoor sports media industry, uh, worked for magazines, Guns and Ammo magazine, Peterson's Hunting. So they told me, in order to do this job, you have to be willing to shoot guns and hunt as part of your job. Oh, no. And I was like, guys, I think I can do this. It's your cross to bear. It's my cross to bear. <laughs> Somebody has to do this. 
So I've done that for a number of years, worked freelance, I've worked for the NRA, done all sorts of stuff in that industry. And then more recently, I've also pastored, been a pastor for three years. Uh, that's a couple years ago now. Um, and it also started a uh, Hardman podcast, which mm. you wonderful gentlemen have been on that as well. Both sides, both in the listening and in the talking side. Yeah, that's right. You, you stole my show. I do own your show now. Don't <laughs> you forget. You own my show. Um, one of the things I think was interesting, though, is we were preparing for this show and this podcast, this series. Uh, we're talking a lot about cultural engagement. One of the things that struck me when I was in seminary was we were studying a lot of the New Covenant theology. And it was, that was really the beginning of the journey for me. And if you ask the question, like, why am I so interested in this podcast? How do we be kings, all of Christ for all of life? That sort of question, it really started there. So that's, you know, close to 20 years ago. Um, and it's really been a question that it, it made me realize you really have to be sort of a Renaissance man uh, to understand this subject matter. Dan, you would agree with me? Oh, yeah, I agree with you. Eric. Speaking, speaking of Renaissance men, Dan. <laughs> I think this is the time for your your bio, your introduction. Is yeah, there even hear. space in the podcast for this? Yeah, I was just impressed. I was I was drawn into your yeah, introduction. I was too. And disappointed that I had to follow it. <laughs> My name is Dan Burkholder. I am one of the pastors of Refuge Church. Uh, I've been a pastor here for, I don't know, actually six or seven years, six mm -hmm. years, something like that. Oh. I was one of the founders of St. Brennan's Christian Cla Cas Classical Academy. I don't right. have to say it. It, yeah. I'm just a founder of it. That's right. So um, I'm a Wisconsin native. I am a father of four boys, three of which are outside of the womb, and one is going to be making an appearance. Imminently. Oh, the due date was five days ago <laughs> oh, <laughs> from at the time of this recording. So who knows? Mm. Any moment. I, actually, mid-podcast, there's a chance. There is a chance. I, I asked your wife, me. Dan how she was doing on Sunday. And she looked at me with a frown and she said, still pregnant. <laughs> <laughs> yes, she is still pregnant. So uh, yeah, four boys. And my education is actually in business. 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 Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's right. Uh, from the University of Wisconsin, uh, Stout, which is an extension school, the very liberal Madison University of Wisconsin, but still go Badgers. Anyway, but more go <laughs> Packers. I mean- I do anything for the Packers. <laughs> uh, my background, actually, similarly to Eric, and this is kind of how we connected. I saw Eric on Twitter. And I was like, oh, this guy works in the outdoor industry. I should reach out. And so that's actually how we got connected. Uh, I, I worked mostly in corporate offices, though. I didn't do writing. Uh, I actually didn't do a lot of hunting for my job, which is really disappointing. Yeah. Yeah. I worked, in, yeah, I worked in various corporate offices for various large retailers in the sporting goods industry. And, and so that's mostly my background. And here I am here. I stand. I can do no other. I, I think it's interesting, Dan, because sitting, though. <laughs> you mentioned this, but we, we met on Twitter. Yeah, we did. Right? Yeah. And uh, that's always a good place to meet people and it's, connect. It, oh, it's yeah. And I, then invite yeah. this person and their family to stay <laughs> in my home without actually having met them. Yes. It's really funny because I'm a notoriously poor networker. I'm just so indifferent, kind of a cantankerous old man sort of True. guy. True. And the one time I'm like, yeah, I'll reach out to this guy. We should do a, a phone call or something. It's Eric. Here we are. It worked out. Yeah. It's worked out so far. Providence, we'll I don't brother. know. Mm. Yeah. What about you, Brian? Who are you? Well, I am. My name is Brian Sauve. If all of you've been wondering how to pronounce that last name and it's you've heard suave. suave, you've heard Suave, you've heard Save, yes. it's Sauve. 
It is actually French for saved. It is the past participle of the verb savoir. So it's actually kind of a cool name. Suave means smooth in a different language. So either one I'll take. But <laughs> <laughs> I am a, a, one of the pastors as well of Refuge Church in Ogden, Utah. And I've been pastoring here for uh, just over a decade at this point and have been serving as the pastor of preaching and liturgy for, I think, about seven years, going on seven years at this point, something around there. And so I love words. I love preaching the word of God. I love reading words. I love setting words to music in the Psalms. You like speaking. I like speaking words. Lots of words. I am loquacious. Uh, I think the word would be, Dan would agree, we're a match made in heaven. We've worked, you know, a couple years now, just an office away from each other in the basement of the church. And it's like, it's, it's just the perfect match. Dan can say three sentences and I can talk for 10 minutes and he's perfectly satisfied and I'm perfectly satisfied. So listener, I'm, I'm going to be with you guys just listening (laughs) most of the time. (laughs) Love it. Well, I'm uh, married to Lexi. We've been married for a decade now. And we have five kids from little Winnie, who is not quite one little girl. We have two little girls, Winnie and Daphne. And then we have Ari, Ira, and Cyril, who are our three boys. The oldest one will be nine here in just a few months. Um, And we've been just having a a really good time building our house, seeing the Lord build our house, um, and pouring into this community of saints here in Ogden. And Lord willing, we plan on being buried here hopefully by our great-grandchildren looking out at the, you know, glories of Christ's kingdom being expanded in Mormon country here in Utah. So we've introduced ourselves. That's who you are going to be hearing from for the most part. We might see some guests as well here in the next few episodes, but uh, it's probably time to introduce you to this podcast a little bit more. What we are attempting to build here, what, what help we hope that it is, and uh, what direction we're shooting here. Uh, as you heard in the cold opening, the King's Hall podcast exists to make self-ruled men who rule well and win the world. And, and that sentence, even though it's very bare bones, gives you kind of a, a pretty good skeleton understanding of what you can expect in the show. Pretty much every show will be wrapped around that kern in, in, in some kind of relationship here. So we'll break that, that little sentence down into three segments to give you a broader, more specific understanding of what we're aiming for. And the first one is that we're aiming to make self-ruled men. We're looking to make self-ruled men. So guys, what does that mean? Yeah, I think it really goes back to Genesis. As we were talking about the concept for this show, um, and we would agree with somebody like Michael Foster, right? And it's good to be a man. That man's core mission is taking dominion. It's to rule the world. Um, but one of the key themes that we talked about from the beginning was that uh, in order to rule the world well, you have to first rule yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, so really this idea of self-government, which I think that we'll get into, um, you really see it throughout scripture. Um, if somebody's going to be an elder in the church, they have to first rule their own household well. And if you want to rule your household well, you've also got to rule yourself well. And then I think even in the, in the secular culture, people pick up on this. Uh, one of those is going to be like Jordan Peterson, right? If you want to change the world, get your household in order first. Um, we hear a lot of people saying things like, go make your bed. 
Yeah. It's this sort of thing. If you can't tame the smallest of things, um, and that starts with yourself, why would you be able to go out into society? So we're kind of asking both of those questions, like, how do you go down to culture and change that? Mm -hmm. But it's got to start right, Dan. It's got to start with us as individuals. Yeah, it has to start as individuals. It's really interesting that you mentioned uh, Jordan Peterson, who's not explicitly Christian at this point. Right. He might be saved. Hopefully that's dated at some point in the future. And we'll have to issue a correction. Oh, man, that'd be great. That'd be awesome. But it's really interesting because even the the stoic movement that's happening right now in that masculinity kind of red-pilled movement is an aim at this being self-ruled, even though what you end up finding out through the Bible is that the only way you can be self-ruled is to have a new heart, to have different desires, because you actually cannot be self-ruled with your old nature in your fallen nature. Fallen man cannot be self-ruled. You have to be ruled first. Yeah. And thus comes the title of this podcast, which is the King's Hall, which means we are the King's men, as we talked about on Eric's podcast. And so we need a new nature and to submit to this higher authority in order to be self-ruled men. And I, when I, when I was trying to think about what's an archetype of the self-ruled man, like what kind of picture can you have in your mind? Because Eric, you talked about qualifications for elders. You need to be able to rule well, but then all of the particulars in there, like you have to be able to have mastery over your sexual desires, over money, over your, your appetites, Mm -hmm. such as alcohol, and um over and anger gluttony anger yeah you no have fits to, of rage all of those things are within this realm of being self-ruled it happens through repentance again in a new heart the indwelling of the holy spirit but i was thinking through this archetype and it's this guy you, and you can think of this person uh exemplified in a lot of different characters through history and in fiction as the man who is the principled man who will not bow the knee or capitulate for even a moment from those principles unto death. And that is uh, for good or bad. It's transitive, right? Being principled is transitive, Mm -hmm. but, but that's the archetype that I think we're, we're aiming for is this man of principle. I will not capitulate even for a moment. I will rule myself and you cannot impose your will on these areas. And primarily those areas are outlined in scripture. Yeah. And Joseph is one of the, all right. Oh man, Joseph, like time and time again, he is just, he's kicked down. He's betrayed by his brothers. He's buried, raised, sold into slavery, uh, accused with opportunity of having an adulterous relationship, put in prison. Like, and at no moment was he anything other than self-ruled and innocent. And so that's what I would think of as a self-ruled man. It's a phenomenal point, Dan. And, and the connection there is because Joseph, it's, it's as if God is putting him through these tests. Joseph proves himself with Potiphar's wife. Yeah. And then, you know, sometime in the future, however long it is, he's elevated to rule a whole country. So you see that connection of what we're talking about, that you've got to be able to rule yourself before you could ever rule a nation. Yeah. One of the, if you see on our podcast graphic, you'll notice two uh, Latin phrases that really serve as foundation stones, mm-hmm. uh, in, in just as directions, mottos, things that are sitting under our feet. We're always trying to stand on top of. And one of them is this Latin phrase, vincit qui se vincit, which literally means he conquers who conquers himself. And it, it, it's just 
I think one of the best brief encapsulations of this whole idea that right now is raging through like Jordan Peterson popular culture. I think a lot of people are starting to see this, that in all of the governments that God has built into the world, you, you can't rule any of them well. You won't see good fruit unless at the beginning you have the government of self in order, right? The government of family, the government of church, the government of state, things that we're going to talk quite a bit about and probably critique and criticize and you know hash out different uh, disputes and uh, controversies within these different governments that are happening in the world or in the, the, the world of the, the church and uh, culture. And a lot of the, we're going to make, we're going to bring critiques, but all of them are going to be built on from the ground up, unless you have men who are born again, who have new hearts, who have the spirit of God in those new hearts, and therefore are able to master their own spirits. You can't have health, fruit, legacy in any of those governments, unless you have those kind of men there. And so, you know, found, foundationally, though we'll be taking up a wide range of topics, in the podcast, that should always be under our feet. That what we're not aiming for is the rearrangement of dead things, right? Like I like again, we're gonna I'm gonna quote Douglas Wilson again here, even though we opened with a Doug quote. Basically, we're just self-sorting all of our listeners right here by quoting Douglas Wilson twice. <laughs> uh, he says, "Without the new, this is in his book Against the Church." He said, "Without the new birth, all the doctrinal and liturgical work in the world is just the reorganization of dead materials." Instead of what is described in the Bible as being, which is the organization and discipleship of living materials. Mm. So if you're not a self-ruled man, the only other thing you can be is a man who is ruled by some pantheon of various demonic idols, your own lusts, your own flesh. Yeah. So from the ground up, that, that just won't do. Yeah, and I think it's a really good point because um, so often what happens is when we talk about like transforming the culture, uh, people think, oh, oh so you're going to round up non-Christians and put them in jail or something like this. And we're going to preach the gospel. Right. Um, but I also wanted to read a quote. This is from Rush Dooney um, that I was reflecting on uh, for this uh, podcast episode. But it's from the Institutes of Biblical Law and really captures the connection between this personal saving faith and what happens in the culture. So Rush Dooney says this. He says, today, most Americans have lost their faith in Christ as Savior. So that's the personal element right there. But, he says, they expect civil government now to be their savior. They have no desire for the responsibilities of self-government, and so they say to politicians, do thou rule over us. Instead of Jesus Christ as their good shepherd, they elect politicians to be their shepherds on a program of socialistic security for all. So I think, really, it gets into this problem of the reason that we're statists today is because we're not ruled by the law of Christ. Amen. And so he'll go on elsewhere to say that uh, really self-rule fundamentally means obeying God's law from the heart. So that for us is when we talk about cultural transformation, that's at the heart of it. Right. We're not talking about a man who is autonomous from God, yeah. who has seized the throne of heaven right. and is a self-ruled man. Right. Absolutely not. We're talking about a man. The only possible way that a creature can properly rule himself is to be at peace with who, with how God made him to relate to God, right? That's his glory. If a creature attempts to to ascend to the throne of heaven and you know dethrone him and sit there, he's not a self ruled man. He's he'll, actually Satan. He's yeah. Satan, and he he'll find that even if he has the illusion of being in charge, man, he finds out really quick by the end of the day when the man comes around. 
that illusion will be evaporating oh, huge. quickly. Like a, like a little drop of water on, on a hot frying pan. It's just gone. It, it, there will be no illusion when he appears before the Lord. I think that's huge. You know, you know, we'll get into this a lot more in detail as we go forward, but I was teaching the kids in chapel the other day from the book of James mm. and the warning that he offers, and, and this is happening in churches because the streams of culture flow out of the sanctuary. Mm-hmm. He says, uh, beware lest you're just hearers of the word and not doers. And there's this antinomian spirit throughout the church where it's hands off. Yeah. Like, don't, don't tell anybody what to do. And a lot of that is from the culture that we have in the United States, I think, in Western culture. But, but that's really interesting that in the churches, even from the pulpits, there is this de-emphasis, de-emphasizing of being self-ruled and just hearing the word and not actually doing it. Not that I'm saying mm-hmm. you're justified by your works or any such nonsense yeah. like that, but, but only through justification can you obey. And so be saved, come to the Lord Jesus, come and eat freely. And now you're no longer a slave to sin. You are now a slave to righteousness Mm. and you are free to do these things. Come be knighted, come get your sword, come get your armor so that you can actually do anything useful. So you're not a Don Quixote, you know, (laughs) running around tilting at windmill windmills or whatever his name is. And is it Don Quixote? It is. Main character. Yeah. You you got it. I got it. Dan's reading. It's not Quixote. No, no. no, I'm sorry. I just failed that test. Yeah. Now, it, it, it reminds me, though, also of just the way our culture, we've trained people to think, which is um, everything is systemic, um, right? When something bad happens, people are always like, well, this is really about us as a society. It's Every, the system. Everybody, it has to be systemic right. in their worldview. Um, and I'm not saying that certain things aren't like culturally pervasive, but the reality is scripture calls you to take responsibility of your own life. That's right. And, and then move in concentric circles outside of that so that then, you know, you're going to household, you're going to a community, and then you're going to government. So really, if we have a society with terrible government at the civil level, it's really because we probably have had it at the personal level. There's one verse I want to ask Dan about because I hear him talk about it all the time. Oh, boy. Yeah. Pop quiz, Dan. You didn't know this was coming. Proverbs twenty five twenty eight: A man without self-control is like a city broken into... And left without walls. So, Pastor Dan, what does this mean? And especially for men, why is it so important that we have self-control, i.e. walls? Yeah, especially, well, for any Christian, any person. Yeah. It's amplified with men because of the realm of responsibility that men have versus women. But essentially what this verse is saying is that this, this person who is personified in this city, a city that has no walls, is ev- easily overcome. If you look at the ancient world, cities were a spot of safety for multiple reasons. It's easily defensible. First of all, that's why the walls. But also, it wasn't just armies that would attack. They also had their goods, their food storage, and things like that in, inside this city. And so this city that didn't have walls was indefensible. Mm. Anything that came up against it, whether it be a band of robbers or uh, an entire army, it would fall. And so like a man without self-rule uh, any, and, or self-control, anything that comes up against it is going to knock it over. Mm, yeah. it, it's going to knock it over. So it, going back to Joseph, if he had no self-control and Potiphar's wife tries to seduce him, he falls. Easy. End of story. Yep. Game over. He could be bitter yep. against his brothers. Yep. You, know, uh, there's, there's, uh, you could see at any point why this proverb is so apt. Mm. Instead, 
the man with self-control is like a city with walls that it's really hard to penetrate. Yeah. Uh, It it reminds me of a proverb that's not in scriptures. It says, fear the wrath of a quiet man. Mm, It's it's similar. Like that's why I'm afraid of you, Dan. That's right. (laughs) Wow. Thank you. Uh, I strike fear in in my friends and enemies, I guess. And so, uh, that is why it's 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 important to have this self rule because mm. it's it's really hard to penetrate. So yeah, and even if you think about it's you're easily plundered and you're also easily manipulated. You're going to be dragged around by every alpha guru and strong leader. Mm. You're going to be tossed to and fro by everybody who has confidence and can you know every snake oil salesman, which is yet another reason why when we're thinking about approaching all sorts of cultural issues and teaching on them and discussing them and taking them apart and putting them back together, it's so important that we, right from the get-go, point out that there's a type of man, particularly a type of young man, who is puffed up with knowledge, and he's not actually self-ruled. He doesn't have real mastery, but he's puffed up with knowledge. And so what he ends up doing is just, he's manipulated by all sorts of other teachers, and then he just starts throwing rocks at everybody, and he's just like on continual screeds online, criticizing everybody, tearing everybody down. But he hasn't actually ruled himself well, produced fruit that you would look at and say, yeah, I should imitate that guy. And so it's, it's really important when we're doing the kind of work in this podcast that we're aiming to do in bringing criticism of culture and systems and leaders and you know, all sorts of things and offering better ways that we start from the beginning by saying, it's not enough. It's not enough just to know things in your head. You actually have to rule your own spirit well. And really, that brings us to the second, the second part of this saying that we're not just making self-ruled men, but we're making self-ruled men who rule well. Well, pardon the interruption, and I'll get right to the point here. Making media like this isn't cheap or easy, either in terms of time or dollars. And so we'd like to invite you to partner with us. You can head to kingshall.org and click on the support the show link in the menu, and we'll share some ways that you can do just that, and also gain access to some exclusive content like the After Hours show we make with every episode, where among other things, you will hopefully learn how to give a good toast, and where this week, we talk about Christian graveyards. And yes, those two things do, in fact, go together. You know, remember, we get more of what we support. And so if we want high-quality Christian media content, then we do have to vote for it with our dollars. Well, thanks, guys, and back to the show. So if, if the trunk of the tree is the self-ruled man, the branches are going to spread out in all sorts of directions from there. It, it basically asking the question, what does a godly self-ruled man do? Right? Well, he... He makes things, he sells things, he builds houses, he marries a woman, he makes kids, he disciples those kids, he starts businesses he, in schools and homeschool co-ops, and he begins a, a legacy that's going to reach well past his death. He might go fight wars, he might write books, he might make music, he might farm livestock or make, grow crops, he might make things out of wood or even silicon chips and you know the digital economy. And so what we're getting at is that when we say that we're aiming in this podcast to make self-ruled men, we're not saying that this is just a podcast about masculinity. It's, it's a lot bigger than that, right? And hopefully you, you'll see that by the end of this first episode here, is that we're, we're aiming to take up as self-ruled men a, a far-ranging swath of topics and issues that 
that are all strung together and built on that self-ruled, spirit-ruled man. But ultimately, what we're talking about are godly kings who are ruled by the king, who can go out into every area of life and rule well there, and, and it, rule well basically right where the Lord has deployed that everybody listening, right where the Lord has deployed you. We want this podcast to help in whatever small or big way to help you rule well right there. So when we talk about ruling well, we're really talking about men being Christians everywhere they go, right? Bringing a maximalist Christian faith into every corner of life and culture building there and that sort of thing. So question for you guys, what is the vision for Christian culture that we're bringing in this podcast? If you were to flesh that out. Yeah, I think one of the initial things is, you know, we talk about a lot is all of Christ for all of life. Mm -hmm. Um, Really taking this concept of God's law, God's word is the reflection of how the universe is structured metaphysically. And so when we talk about, you know, patriarchy or we talk about culture, we're referring to this is the way reality is structured. Right. And so we're not, what we're not doing, I think, by way of cultural engagement is doing maybe what pietists do, um, what I've said complementarians tend to do, um, is say that God's law applies in the church and in your home, but nowhere else. Right. We're saying it applies everywhere. And everywhere that a man goes, he ought to be like leaven. He ought to, know, he ought to be a king. He ought to so know the law of God that he brings wisdom to dark places, that he transforms wherever he is, whether he's in his office building, if he's leading a company. Um, God's law and kingdom is about all of that. Um, Dan, I know we've talked a lot about that very thing. Yeah, yeah, we have. So I think when people hear some illusion to culture war, it yeah. gets their hackles up a little right. bit and they're like, well, what do you mean culture war? You mean like some sort of Christians going into battle sort of thing? You're like, well, not, not, not at this point. Asymmetrical. No. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's important to understand the very words that we're using. So yeah. th- th- this is like 101 kind of stuff. So if you've heard this before, I apologize. But culture, if you look at the Latin root, the word is cultus, which means worship. And so when we look at culture, what we are doing is we're looking at the very thing that people worship because people, peoples make culture. Mm. Culture isn't some organic thing that is, you know, that all of a sudden you go to the, the mountains in Oregon and you're a spiritual naturalist kind of woo woo sort of, no, it, it, it's made by people and what they worship. And so when we say culture war, what we mean is that there is a fundamental war of worship going on and Christians worship the true and living God and every aspect of life. Like Abraham Kuyper says, there is not one square inch over the human domain in which Christ does not declare mine right. or, or something like that. Yep. That's what the Christian should believe is that the way that you work, because the Bible talks about, Hey, work heartily as unto God, not as to unto men as people pleasers. It talks about how you're supposed to rule your family. The husband is to be the head of his wife and to love her like Christ loves the church and gave his life for her. Women, submit to your husbands. You know, there's every aspect of life is covered by God's law, and it's supposed to be for our good. And so what is, what is the very thing that we're at war against in this? It's, it's these competing idolatries that say, no, I have autonomy from God. Or there is, you know, we'll talk about it at length, but 
But when we talk about culture, that's what we're talking about is the gospel transforms people and God's when he, when he transforms a people, he makes them worship him and obey him, which produces this culture. And so that's what we mean when we're talking about culture. Uh, you're making something, the way you work, the way you think, the way that you study, what you read, what you're entertained by, the things that you produce, the things that you consume, all should be under this lordship of Christ. Mm. And, and that all goes back to Genesis. Like you said earlier, it all goes back to Genesis to the cultural mandate, which there is some debate amongst Christians, whether the cultural man, I think that's ridiculous. It is so obvious in scripture. Does it apply today? That the cultural mandate and maybe, maybe pastor Brian could speak more to the cultural mandate of what that is. When we talk about the cultural mandate, we're saying God said, be fruitful and multiply, take dominion, cultivate. He gave him dominion, both a charge and then the authority to carry out that charge. And when you look at the arc of scripture, you're looking basically at the story of mankind's creation and charge is fall and all of the things that come out of that fall. And, and, and that's culture, by the way, that's just what it is. It's people going and worshiping and so producing, you know, in their art and music and eating and drinking and all of it, they're producing culture, fallen man in the culture he makes, and then God's redemption and restoration of what specifically it is mankind, right? The Lord Jesus takes on true humanity so that he can restore what is truly human and make a new humanity being remade and renovated in the image of Christ, which is now working out through history in the dominion and conquest of the church and will be completed and perfected in glory at the end when the last enemy to be destroyed is death, man is glorified. So the arc of history goes from perfect man to, to fallen man and the culture he makes to redeemed man and the new culture that he makes, which is going to affect every part of what it means to be human because the Lord Jesus didn't just save like human spirits. He saved human beings. So he's saving and redeeming and renovating and sanctifying everything it means to be human, sexually, socially, relationally, emotionally, politically, familially, in every sphere of human existence he's sanctifying and then ultimately the glorification of man in christ to the glory of god world without end amen so so all of that fundamentally means that in this age this age of the church like a stone that struck the feet of empire that becomes a mountain that covers the earth such that by the time that god's project in the church is done the glory of God will cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. That's God's project, just doing some biblical theology here. One of the things that that means is that as the church is sanctified, and meaning as individual Christians are sanctified, it's not that they are going to be tinkering with the culture of fallen man. Mm. It's that they are actually going to be producing the culture of the new man, the new humanity. And so everything the church does isn't going and tinkering and, and trying to like reform the culture of the demon fallen man. No, we're, we're making a whole different culture. We do everything differently. And that's what we take. That, that, that's, what's, it's, it's, that's what's supplanting the old culture, I would say. Yeah, such a big point, Brian. One of the things that uh, it made me think of, Doug Wilson, I think is where I've heard this, but he says you can't fight a culture war without a culture. That's right. 
And so th- exactly what you're saying, there's a couple of things there. Number one, it means that we're, we're not just trying to like come to an armistice with the culture. Right. And say like, where can we agree and sort of like build something together? Um, but, but I want to ask, why, why do you think it's so important that as, as we talk about culture war, that we have a really robust culture that we're trying to export, that we're, we have a, a cultural engine within. Right. So often what we do in our evangelism, in evangelicalism, is we, we give this kind of pitch. We say basically, guys, we're, we're really just like you. We're, all, we're sinners. We're fallen. We're weak. We, but we all like, we like Marvel movies too. And we like, you know, <laughs> hip music. I listen to the M&Ms or the Snickers or whatever they live. You know, I listen to all that too. Look, here's a Christian version of it even. Uh, you know, I saw a man with a tat on his big fat belly and it Whoa, jiggles around. Hey, I'm DC sorry. talk, Whoa, come I'm on. Sorry. They're probably all apostates now. But, you know, and then Pretty we say- much. Join us in our thing. You can also have everything you also ha- you already have in a half baked, mediocre way. But guess what? You'll also get a personal relationship with Jesus, and you'll lose in your heart. <laughs> and then, and then you'll and join you'll be part of the remnant, the losing team for now. Yeah. <laughs> but then one day, one day you'll be long dead. You'll come back, and 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 you'll win. And and I, <laughs> I just think instead of that, the view that that God. I think shows us just relentlessly in the Old and New Testament. These themes that just absolutely permeate the scriptures are things like my people, when they're called by my name, when they worship me and when they obey me and when they follow, when, when my law is a lamp unto their feet and, and when they eat, eat my words like food, then they will not be the tail. They will be the head. They will not be the tail. They will not be wagged by the, by the nations and by the pagans. In fact, actually, by the time I'm done, the nations are going to be streaming to you, to the holy mountain of God. They're going to be coming to you and they're going to be saying, teach us. Is that the church you see right now? Largely? No. We see a church that's actually like, we should be the tail, though. Like, we want to be the we tail. We want to be the tail. Make us, the, wag us harder, nations. Yeah. And it, I'm getting worked up. But it, <laughs> the, the, the thing that I think that does is it forces you. This is like the, not to offend all my amillennial brothers, but it just forces you to do violence to the Old Testament texts and promises and spiritualize them until they are fundamentally meaningless and with respect to their grammar. Yeah. And so you're like, we are victorious right now. The nations are streaming to us spiritually. And you're like, well, yeah, but, but is man spirit or is man embodied spirit? It almost, to me, it always, always felt like a Jesus juke. Yeah. You know, where it's like, well, yeah, you will conquer. Spiritually. <laughs> yeah, it's like a You're da, like, da, da. Dang it. Okay, finish the sentence. All right, dude. Ned Flanders. Right, before that was, I sign up. Yeah. Finish the sentence. Exactly. So I think really that brings us to some of the cultural the views of cultural engagement that we reject. On the on that foundation, what are some of the ways that we've been taught to engage culture that we would say, not only is that not, you know, some people would say, well, there's some good tools on your tool belt. And we're like, no, that's actually not even a good tool on your tool belt at all. Get rid of that tool. We shouldn't be, we shouldn't be approaching things that way. Yeah. I think it's interesting because there's, there's some positions that, that we'll talk about, uh, whether it's radical two kingdoms or you've mentioned all mill, there's some topics that, that have names like that, but then there's other approaches that I think are, are is at least equally as prevalent. Um, and I talk about them a lot, but like the gospel coalition would be one of them. 
Um, one of the things that I have people say to me a lot and it's related to them is, well, you know, brother, what about your cultural capital? I, yeah. I heard somebody today on Twitter, uh, they were saying to me, they said, you know, you're, you're supporting patriarchy and I'm just not sure that you're aware of how patriarchy is impacting your witness. <laughs> and it was actually a really helpful comment because it made yeah. me think about, well, my form of cultural engagement at the core of my cultural engagement is the question, is it true? Is it biblically true? And if it's biblically true, then I'm going to proclaim that. I'm going to act like it's true. That's why patriarchy, that's why a number of things that we do. But again, it's helpful to see that the TGC crowd, mainline evangelicalism, I think a lot of them would call themselves uh, probably just New Covenant theology. They're not really yeah. sure what that means. It's pretty watered down. Um, but the cultural engagement is basically like, let's find neutral ground with the culture. Let's try to prove to them how cool we are. And we need to improve our witness, which means when Russell Moore goes to David French's book club, he wants David to think he's cool. And it's like you just end up whittling down slowly, like, well, it would hurt our cultural capital. We'd have to make too too big of a withdrawal from the bank account right. to talk about patriarchy or anthropology or human sexuality or any other number of topics that they really right. hate today. Right. So we're just going to focus on the core things where we have some overlap and where and, and the really important things like being forgiven of your sin. And, and is that really important? It just Absolutely. slowly erodes, though. But yeah, you end up basically you've given up all you said. That's not a hill worth dying on. That's not a hill worth dying on. That's not a hill worth dying on. And pretty soon you, you actually just, you're on their hill. Yeah. And you don't have a hill to defend anymore. You're just on there. You're on Babel. You're on Babel, the tower with them. And you're in the club, but you're not salt. You're not light. You're not bringing any kind of dis, distinct Christian witness that would confront their specific idolatries and their specific, the sins with names attached to it. Yes. You're, you're talking about to. being the tail, being wagged, and yeah. that's, that's the example of it. You have what is called the permissible narrative, and you see this in politics. You see this like, this is a permissible narrative. That is not a permissible narrative. Yeah, whoa. And so the, the idea of like, well, I'm going to have a seat at the pagan's table, yeah. and I'm going to try to keep it. It's like, well, if you find yourself sitting at certain tables, you want to make sure that you're not invited back and that you <laughs> proclaim right. the Lord Jesus. We need a lot more John the Baptist. And yeah. a lot less of the TGC. Eric gets this all the time. Like, yeah. you know, in the in the DMs, Eric, you know, brother, I really love what you're doing. I can't retweet anything you say. That's right. Mind you, because I would immediately be fired or disowned by my <laughs> entire friend group. But I secretly really agree with you. <laughs> That's right. Eric gets it all the time. Oh, it's it's totally true. And I think it, it really gets to, you know, some of the things we're not. We're not winsome. Uh, Wait, in, we're in, not? No. I'm sorry, Brian. I'm going to have to make some calls. I'm making calls. We're not, we're not winsome. We're not nuanced. Um, it's not a strategy of cultural appeasement. Um, you know, one of the other things I'll say is recently re-listening, I'm a glutton for punishment. So I was listening to the second time uh, Christianity Today's Rise and Fall of Mars Hill Church. Wow. And you should get a medal. Yeah. Yeah, I basically should. Red Badge of Courage, basically, for taking that beat down from mm -hmm. the feminists and Josh Harris and all the apostates. Man. Um, but it's interesting as I was listening to that, I was thinking kind of the core of all of it for this, you know, big, fast and famous model, whether you're Mark Driscoll or ironically CT, they're really doing the same thing. What you have to do is what Dan's talking about. You have to go the Overton window approach. Yeah. Where, well, what's the acceptable range of discourse? Let's stick with that. And then uh, again, vis-a-vis -vis Tim Keller, let's talk in language that the culture can handle. 
Um, it really gets down to pragmatism versus, I think, bold proclamation of truth. One of the other things that we'll unpack, and, and correct me if I'm wrong here, if we believe, as we do, that part of our strategy has to be poking the idols in the eye, we're just accepting from the beginning that our strategy of cultural engagement is going to be offensive and it's sometimes going to lead to people not liking us. Yeah, I think it, so. We're our goal is to follow in the footsteps of the Lord Jesus, who is our king. And he went out of his way to poke in the eye the idols of his day. Yeah. The Pharisees, he would the number of times he was accused of breaking the Sabbath, of being a glutton and a drunkard, yeah. associating with the wrong sorts of people. And he's essentially like, oh, yeah, well, watch. I'm going to do it even harder. I'm not even going to wa- uh, wash my hands when I eat. And I'm going <laughs> to dip my hand in the bowl with you. <laughs> I'm going to heal you know? someone on the Sabbath. Yeah. He, he was right double now. dipping I know his they're chips. watching. Yeah, yeah. No kidding. Yeah. I mean, so that that's the strategy that the Lord Jesus took. And I, I think that's okay. And, and you can kind of get a barometer for this based on who these big Eva types are, are, what they're talking about and who they're talking about, who they prop up as a, as a good example. And, and who they'll avoid just based on that tweet that we had discussed from Brian, where he said something very boring and orthodox that at any point in Christian history, you'd go, yes. And amen. Why are you talking? This is really boring. Yeah. And now everybody's just like explodes. And then you have extremely nuanced pieces from certain prominent, uh, f- uh, female, uh, persons in, in the big evil world saying that they've thought deeply about this and how immodest it is to talk about immodesty. And Let me like, redefine the oh. entire concept of modesty. And really what they're trying to do, I think when you break it all down, they're trying to distance themselves from us so that they can close the distance between the elites. Right. Who happen to be, let's face it, there's more of, you know, right now in America, yeah. they're popular. Um, so you can have a lot more of those. I, I think it's also helpful Correct me if I'm wrong, like just to let people know, this is sort of my MO, but yep. like we're talking about being post-mill, correct? Right. And we were, we were, that it's even, we're going to get there in the outline. Let's do it right now. Because one of the questions I think is important for us to answer is that, okay, we're talking about making self-ruled men who rule well everywhere they go. We're going to be talking about culture, vocation, business, the church, just economics, all kinds of areas, education. And so you really need to ask though, are we optimistic or pessimistic about yeah. the future of the church? Because if, if we're very pessimistic about it, then you know, we, we shouldn't be building cathedrals. We should be building bunkers. So, so which is it? Are we optimistic or are we pessimistic? Yeah, I would say we're definitely optimistic um, in the face of everything. Um, this is sort of what uh, cultural engagement faith looks like is looking at the world and seeing you know, there's a lot of problems, but we trust in the promise of Jesus. We know that the glory of the Lord is going to fill the earth from sea to sea, from coast to coast, everywhere you go. Um, and I, I would say this is kind of the crux of the issue, particularly we'll, we'll dig into this, but between Rod Dreher's book, The, the uh, Benedict Option, and what we're espousing, um, Rod is actually not the retreatist I think people criticize him right, for being, right. but what he definitely is is pessimistic about the future of the church. Yeah. Um, I, and that would actually be my rub with uh, his book. Um, there's a lot of good stuff there, but the real rub is he just doesn't think we're going to win. So that has been the cultural catalyst in my own heart for t- 20 years now. How can we believe that we're going to just lose and slowly get our butts kicked and expect anybody, Dan, to be excited about that mission? Yeah, I, I, 
am shocked now that I've come around to this uh, post-millennial theology at the loser mindset that I was just discipled in. Yeah. It, that essentially it was like, hey, go out, be a Christian, uh, and you're going to lose. And it, eventually there's just going to be a remnant of the church. Yeah. And then just hold on, brother, for the for the rapture. Or for whatever it is. When culture gets worse, you're actually celebrating because you think, well, that means Jesus yeah, is almost closer. back. Yeah, the end is near. Why would, you, yes. why would you spend a whole lot of time and energy doing something like, I don't know, starting a Christian school? You know, where you're... Where Waste you're, of time. Yeah. Why would you do that? You don't expect it to last past 10... And, and some dispensationalists have started Christian schools. I, I want to say, like, nobody has done anything good who's dispensational or had a, a pessimistic view. Um, in fact, I think... As an aside here, one of the things that's important to note is that when we talk about all of this, our, our strategy for cultural engagement, our optimism for the future of the church, that there, there you know, will be another Christendom at some point in the future, is that we're not saying that you shouldn't let your reasonableness be known to all men. We're not saying that you should just be shock jocks. We're not saying any of that. What we're saying is that when you obey all of the scriptures, what will result is that you will be hated by a whole lot of people pretty regularly. If you just apply all of Scripture to all of life, the whole Scripture to the whole domain of human existence, and two, expect that to actually work, three, attacking the pagan gods because our God is putting them under his feet, then two things are going to happen. You're going to be hated and rejected and reviled and slandered, and your God is going to actually use that very thing to win. Yeah. And both of those things are going to happen. At the same time, both of those things are going to happen. Really, the, the last part of this, we're already talking about it, so let's bring it in here. We say that we're making self-ruled men who rule well. So that's every domain of human existence. Again, the, the whole of Scripture to the whole domain of human existence. And then we're doing that, expecting that to actually work, attacking the pagan gods along the way because our God is putting them under his feet. And, and so we say that we're not just making self-ruled men to rule well, but who will rule well and actually win the world, because we believe that that is actually the task that God has given us, that he's given the missio Dei, the mission of God is aimed at the winning of the world, that we would conquer and colonize and baptize and disciple the nations, that we would evangelize the nations, see all of the tribes and families of the earth turn to and worship the Lord. And so the, that's really the final piece that, would, that explains where we're pointing here, that you wouldn't be able to understand our project if you didn't understand that about us, mm. right? That we're, we're, we're not just trying to rearrange a few deck chairs on the Titanic here. Right. No, we're, we're actually like aiming to fulfill the Missio Dei, whatever small part that the Lord has given us uh, along, a, along his great big mission. So, I mean, what do you, what do you guys think yeah, about I that? I think you that's really agree? important. When you say the Missio Dei, we don't have any delusions of grandeur right. in ourselves. Like when you look at, at what we're trying to build, we started with the man. We're trying to build self-ruled men. Obviously they're Christians yeah. who are self-controlled, who obey, who know the word of, who knows the word of God and obeys it every verse and can read any verse in the Bible and go, I have no shame in that. And I believe it. Amen. I affirm it. Amen. Yes. And then the next step out is the family. What is your family for? You're supposed to produce something in that. Primarily, it's, your, it's going to be your main form of evangelism mm. by having kids. 
which you will then weaponize to use against the enemy by making more self-ruled men and women that are fruitful and multiply and take dominion over all of the earth, whether that's being a carpenter or a plumber or a CEO or an accountant, and they're going to do it for the glory of God and for the glory of Christ. And, and none of those things in itself are going to be that great. None of us are great. Mm-hmm. None of us are great. None of our names are probably going to be remembered mm-hmm. much beyond 50 years after we die. Yeah. But what we build now will transcend our own existence here. And that's the goal. And that's the optimistic future is that we believe the Lord Jesus Christ when he said, hey, go disciple the nations, yeah. baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all I've commanded you to do. That when he said all authority on earth has been given to me, uh, that he didn't mean like, but we're going to lose. He meant this is going to happen. And you can look through the totality of scripture and see that this whole thing is pointed towards one thing, and that's the total dominion of Christ over the entire earth. And that's what we're aiming at. And so the thing that we're trying to do in one small way is just be a godly man, a godly woman in our areas of responsibility. And so in that, we're on defense. Uh, we're defending the faith. Yeah, and right. in that, we're on offense by being fruitful. Right. Some, when, we, when we say bunkers and cathedrals, you actually do need both. Yeah. Like our school is a bunker. We're, we're, we've set up defensive bulwarks. We're bringing our children in where they're defended, shielded by their parents and by the authority figures that God has put in their lives to lead and rule them well. And we're saying, you're safe here to, to learn tactics, to learn worldview, to learn truth, goodness, and beauty, to learn how to read history in your place in it, to learn the scriptures, right? To learn how to be a virtuous man or a virtuous woman. And then as they grow up, they're going to get sent on sorties out, you know, out of the bunker to go, go, go get your, your sword, you know, go get some blood on your sword, yeah. come back and let's talk about how it went. Right. So, so really like when we, when we talk about offense, defense, retreat, attack, it's not that we don't, you know, that we're going to say always attack or always offense, never defense, never retreat. You're going to win. You're going to lose every football game. If you don't play some defense, <laughs> you can't just be like offense all the time. Right. In fact, a lot of the, the failings of evangelical culture are failings of defense. <laughs> Just straightforward. Let's defend our children. So, so Eric, when, when you're thinking through that dynamic and uh, cultural engagement, offense, defense, what comes to mind for you? Yeah, I mean, immediately I think of uh, something that we, we would talk about in football um, in high school and afterwards, but really the three phases of the game. So there's actually a third phase here, which is special teams. Mm. Um, so I think you know, offense, defense, special teams, typically to win a game, you've got to manage all three phases. Um, one of the things like the Benedict option, um, they're really good at, I think, talking about some of the defensive strategies, which are actually, I, I thought were really good in the book. I'm I sure. learned a lot. Yeah. yeah. I'm, you know, we, we need to protect Christian culture, Christian literature. Yeah. And the Benedict option just being like in defense of a monastery, a monastery sort of model, right? Yeah. Uh, being a monk. I think, even that, though, is hard because people misunderstand what the monks were trying to do. Um, they were actually trying to preserve Christian culture. Right. Um, it wasn't necessarily like pure retreatism. Yeah. And, all, and they, I mean, if you look at like the, um, oh, now it's, it's less. There was a famous uh, monastery where they would, they were amazing. They, they built fish farming systems that would 
sustainably grow fit. Like they yeah. it created this whole culture there. It wasn't it wasn't pure retreat. Sorry to interrupt. Yeah, no, that's exactly right. And then you have um, you know, more of what I think what, what we're trying to add to this is sort of the boniface option of like going out in the culture. Uh, I'm sure we'll talk more about what that is, but going out in the culture, chopping down the idols. I would argue in, in sort of a like you have to have a place to retreat, recover, rest, train so that you can go back on the attack. I, I think the other thing that I would tend to point to in this cultural moment that I think a lot of people are missing is um, something of the Battle of Manassas in the Civil War with Stonewall Jackson. He, he really got this. Everybody's retreating from the battlefield. Uh, General B is retreating. And as everybody's fleeing from the Union Army, he looks out. And the famous saying, he says, there stands Jackson like a stone wall. And he's in shock. He's like, what kind of maniacal man would stand in the middle of this cultural onslaught? And he's actually attacking the enemy. And it it just struck me, this is what God's people do. This is what David and, you know, Jonathan did. This is what Jonathan and his armor bearer did against the Philistines. Um, they went on the offensive when, mo- yeah, when most people thought this is not the time to go on the, the offensive. Lord Jesus, right, facing down the hordes of demonic sin and death by himself on a cross, right. And so you would think, like our culture, even that within the church today, would tell you, no, 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 this is the time to retreat. That's kind of they're they're, they're playing the trumpets for retreat, and and I think we have an actual real opportunity to be Stonewall Jackson in this moment. This is why I've you know we've done the podcast I think is to say we could actually inspire some people to charge yeah to be like David he's not even a soldier he goes into battle and he's like who's this uncircumcised Philistine to come <laughs> against the armies of the living God and then he goes out and slays the giant yeah. with his own sword with yeah with his with own, his own with his own sword. sword that's right that's right so I mean whether we we conquer by creating parallel institutions that ultimately defeat the pagan competitors or even retaking institutions fundamentally Christianity whether it's strategically retreating or not is all of it's aimed at conquering all of it i mean all of it's aimed at the dominion of christ and <clears throat> the dominion of christ not just over the things between our ears not just over our thoughts or over a spiritual kingdom yes to the spiritual kingdom but the the dominion of Christ over all of it. Yeah. And everything. It, and one might be tempted to hear like three really burly masculine men like us, <laughs> you know, talk and, and, and think that it's all like war because we use a lot of war analogies. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if you read the Bible, it's full of war, but it, it's, it's more than that because we have access to the true, the good and the beautiful. And so if you look at the great works of music, classical music, it was Christian. If you look at right. the great works of art, it was Christian. Yeah. Yep. If you look at some of the best philosophy, the best writing ever done. Architecture. Architecture. Christian. Christian. The yeah. best works that have been done in human history. Christian. It's not just because Christ is a, a dread warrior, which he is, but it's because he is the good, the true, and the beautiful. And that affects every area of life. And so it's inevitable. The dominion of Christ over all areas of life is inevitable because of what is good and true and beautiful. And it is the very nature of God in all of creation. Yeah. I think one of the other things too, Dan, as you're talking about that, I'm thinking about the reign and rule of Solomon and really in Christ, we see the suffering side of, you know, pre-exaltation, not reigning in glory. 
uh, it, through, throughout his life. He's, he's suffering. He's fighting for his people. It's, it's very much the Davidic warfare, slaying the giants, etc. And then in the Old Testament comes the reign of Solomon. And really, Solomon is like the consummation of this kingship, right? And what, the thing about Solomon is he, he knows a little bit about everything, right? He rules over everything. Uh, he gives wisdom to mothers. He has, uh, you know, oversees the mining operations, the timber operations. He's building pools and gardens and everything. So it's really a picture of, like, I think the kingly wisdom that we're aiming at when we're talking about ruling the world, it's not one-dimensional. Right. It's everything. Yeah, it's, it's not like nacho cheese and football on Sundays only. It's like, it's offensive to me that we have such mediocre artistic culture and musical culture in the church today when the church was responsible for the greatest art, the greatest music, the greatest architecture, the greatest writing. I mean, it's Christian. It's fundamentally Christian. And in fact, where Christianity hasn't dominated, culture has been, I'll just say, this is a technical term, sucky in comparison. Sucky. Sucky. Yeah. Especially once you factor in the really the true, the good, and the beautiful, and like how did women do, how did children do, how did... You know, Christianity is the only thing in, in the history of the world that has really reliably produced glorious societies that at least dimly reflect the good, the true, and the beautiful. And, and so that's why I'm so offended when we, when we behave as if those things are meaningless and as if they're not really related. Like they're fine. They're good. I'm for it. But they're not really related to our task. So it, it doesn't appear that the church... You know, even though we're waxing poetic about all of the victories that the church is going to win and how Christ is going to have dominion, it doesn't appear at the moment, Brian, like that's the case. What would you say about that? Yeah, like build, building cathedrals, my church meets in a strip mall and, and we, we, we don't even own it. So we were closed down during COVID because we weren't allowed to meet. Well, one of the reasons that I think a lot of our, our brothers and sisters land, even in these fundamental, like these forms of eschatological and cultural pessimism, is because they often adopt too small of a time horizon. So one of our foundational mottos, again, there's that vincit or winkit quis of winkit, he conquers who conquers himself. The other Latin phrase in our, in our um, graphic there, our logo, is festina lente. And festina lente is one of my favorite sayings. It means make haste slowly. Make haste slowly. So what does that mean? Why is it there, guys, and, and, and how does that factor into the question that Dan just asked? Yeah, I think the, 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 the fundamental concept is that we are having a multi-generational view of this victory and this culture building. Yeah. So, but at the same time, we have a sense of urgency about it because we know that we're each just individually, you know, at best 80 to 90 years, maybe three score, four score years over. Exactly. So we have a limited amount of time, but we also don't want to make the foolhardy mistake of burning out. Yeah. Um, so really, you have to think, as James says, you have to think like the farmer. You have to be diligent, but you have to be very serious about this work of culture building. But we also have the luxury of looking to our sons and daughters and saying, look, this work is going to start with us and it's going to go on through them. Um, when, I, when we were talking about this Fascina Lente, um, I thought about the Prague Cathedral. Um, yeah. And when we visited there, you know, we're talking about it. And I said, wow, this is amazing. How, how long did it take to, to build this? And they said 950 years. Ah. And it's still under construction. Methuselah. And the lady, I said, wow, that's a long time. And the lady, the Czech lady, she laughed in my face and she said, you Americans. 
awesome. Your country has not even been around for 250 years, you know, whatever it is. And I thought, yeah, that's good perspective. So one of the things that I've always loved, uh, Doug Wilson talks a lot about this, is like the Civil War. We think that was so long ago. It's like a few generations. Yeah. We just have this way of disconnecting from other generations, part, partly because of the way that we now live our lives, Industrial Revolution, the government takes care of the future generations, and so we're not connected, all these sorts of things. But when I look at my kids, I can have confidence in the mission because I know, hey, we're just making a start, right? Christianity is young. It, it, it's in the, in the youth days. And so like we're looking to our, our sons, we're filling them with the vision and for legacy building. Yeah. As Dan always says, and Dan, I, I want to ask you about this in particular, but it's having a 50 and 500 year plan, not thinking about what am I going to do the next five minutes? Yeah, those, that's really interesting. My, my great grandma was born in 1898. Wow. Mm. No, 1889, 1889. So that's my great grandma, by the way. That's, yeah, I mean, like we, in our wow. minds, we think that's so long ago, but it's not. Yeah, that is. Yeah. Well, it is kind of a long time ago. I mean, just think of the world she grew up in. But at the same time, you're right. It's not that long ago. That's just three generations. Yeah, three yeah. generations. I mean, it's not that long. But so back to your, your question about having 50-year plans, having 100-year plans, things like that. Yeah. This is also one of the things that we do at church, by the way. Whenever we make a decision, we're not looking at church growth strategies for the next five years. We're looking at, is this decision going to make the church better in 50 years? Am I going to be a pastor here in 50 years? No, I'm not going to be alive. I'm 37 years old. With your family history, unlikely. Well, I don't know. I just told you that my grandma was, well, I mean, she lived to be 108. I guess oh, you never mind. Know that. So likely. Um, yeah, but the men die young. So I've got a good like 30 years left, maybe. Anyway, so the point is that we're planting trees that we won't ever experience the shade of, mm -hmm. but we're planting the trees because we have a long view. And it's one of the best ways that we can obey the command to love your neighbor as yourself. Because if you think back like, oh man, yeah, I wish that my dad or my grandpa had done X, Y, or Z. Recently, uh, we've been talking about like, oh man, if, if only my dad had set up some or my grandpa had set up some rental properties that I could be managing or the, the ways that you could be blessed through your generations is endless. But that's the way that we're thinking. So when we set these principles for life, what we're trying to do is look into the future be, and overshoot our own lives. To, to have something worth passing on. And I'm trying to do that personally. And I mean, this is really the aim of Christian men is to pass on this inheritance of faith that, that you believe the, the Lord when he says that if you obey me, uh, that I will bless you to the thousandth generation, like that, that we actually believe that to be yeah. true and to do that. And also to pass on a culture that's, that transcends your certain time that you're not passing on these generational sins that yeah. enslave generations mm. of horrible men uh, that end up passing these sins on to their sons. What we're trying to do is the opposite is pass on righteousness and culture and this wealth of, of, of knowledge and of physical wealth and, and of the ultimately the treasure of Christ onto our future generations. So we're trying to think beyond ourselves. And really when you see cultures that do that, they build cathedrals That's because right. They have to, somebody had to say, let's start, let's do the foundation. So, work. Someone's going to be here in 950 years who will still need to worship the living God. Yeah. And they believed that. Yeah. Well, and I, I even think it's, 
actually part of the historic Christian faith and, you know, pre-Christian, but you go back to Abraham, like the promise was to a thousand generations. Even, even Muslim communities think in terms of thousand generations. So, you know, when like the wars in Afghanistan were originally going on in the seventies and they felt offended by America and other people, they would always say, well, we have a thousand years for revenge. (laughs) So like, I think it's a very modern concept to think in such short time frames. Whereas again, when you look at the, the structure of the promise, like maybe we should be thinking in terms of thousand years instead of five minutes, even 40,000 years. I mean, a thousand generations is 40,000 years. Yeah. We're not even close to that from Abraham guys. Like we're Isn't, wait, wait, 10%. Wait, say that again. Say that again. One more time. Yeah. A thousand generations is 40,000 years. Isn't that crazy? So, so we're, we're not even 10% of the way through that period of time from Abraham. We're not even 10%. I think we're like five, wow. five, five, five to 7%. I went to public school. So my math is a little <laughs> slow. But when, when you think, isn't that crazy though? Yeah, when people are like, "Oh yeah, the Christ, Christianity's not going to conquer." I mean, look at look look at look at Trudeau up in Canada, and you're like, Trudeau up in Canada, he's a mayfly. He's he's here today, gone tomorrow. The living God is reigning. The Father has set His Son on His throne. He's putting all of His enemies under His feet. When the last enemy to be destroyed, it, 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 and when He stands up after having put all those enemies under His feet, He'll destroy the last enemy, which is death. And then we'll sing over death. Where is your sting? So when you go, the living God who inhabits eternity looks at 40,000 years and laughs. And we look at 40 years and we're like, that's a really long time. What, <laughs> what if the stonks go down? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what if inflation? And, and, and God's like, America is a mayfly. Yeah. If anything, recent history should teach us how fickle the span of a few years is. Yeah. Yeah. And that we should really be thinking longer term than that. How much can be built and how much can be torn down. And so let, let's end it with this. Looking ahead, if, if I have your permission, gentlemen, to this first season of the King's Hall. And this is, this is sort of how we're planning on approaching this podcast is in seasons. So we won't always be talking about the exact same thing, but we'll be sort of picking one big thing we want to talk through and this season, what we'd like to talk through is what you might call, we've been alluding to it, the Boniface option. We'll be talking about building out a vision for Christian culture that approaches that task we've been talking about, this task of winning the world in the spirit of St. Boniface and his trusty acts. And if you're not familiar with his particular reputation, I'm not going to spoil it yet. You can wait for the cold open of the next episode and you're, you'll hear about Brother Boniface. But over this first season, you can basically expect to think through everything from education to economics to ecclesiastical matters and beyond, uh, and to, to as we do so, to feel the chips flying and the beginnings of a cathedral should start to form right there in the pagan wilderness as you follow along. So we're thankful that you've joined us here in the King's Hall for a short visit with this inaugural episode. We do pray that the Lord Jesus would use this podcast for your good and for the good of your people. And we would invite you and encourage you to remember that he conquers who conquers himself. See you next time.